Okay, okay. Actually, I wasn't waiting. I just was very uh, excited to say that. You know, the, the truth is, is that some of us had some pretty amazing fathers. Some of you don't remember your fathers. Some of you had stepfathers. Some of you had uh, fathers that pointed you to Jesus really, really well. In fact, that's one of the father's great joys, is to be able to help their kids, be able to understand a little bit who the Heavenly Father is. Well, what's hard is that we do have a broken world. And we do have some fathers over the years that have probably been pretty harmful and hurtful. Well, I don't know what your history is. I don't. But one of the things I'm hoping to do today is to be able to give you a clearer perspective of who the Heavenly Father is. So that you might be able to leave here absolutely drawn to God the Father. You know, great dads know when to comfort. They know when to train. And they know when to discipline. God, our Father, is not only great, but God, our Father, is literally perfect. In our text today, Jesus is going to reflect His Father perfectly to a group of frazzled disciples. They were already confused. Their worlds were about to be shattered. In spite of Christ's warning, faithful warning, they had no idea of what was coming. Jesus knew they needed a pep talk. So the master trainer focuses on faith, a critical component for the journey. Christ's words were perfect for his friends. And I think they're going to be perfect for us. I've asked my friend Matt to read our scripture for us. If you're newer, we're in the book of Matthew, chapter 14. And we're going to be starting at verse 1. If you don't have your Bibles or your flat screens, you can look up on the screen and follow along as Matt reads. John 14, 1 through 14. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my Father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you, so that you will always be with me in where I am. And you know the way to where I am going. No, we don't know, Lord, Thomas said. We have no idea where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus told me, or told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. If you had really known me, you would know who my Father is. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. Jesus replied, Have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? 
Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak are not my own, but my Father's who, live, who lives in me does his work through me. Just believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe because of the work you have seen me do. I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done, and even greater works, because I am going to be with the Father. You can ask for anything in my name, and I will do it, so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Let's pray. Father, in our text for today, you met with a group of frightened disciples. They had just seen and experienced some things, and they were confused. And even though you perfectly shared with them details that they needed to understand, they were still troubled. They were worried. Lord, I think again, so many of us know your word. And so many of us understand what you are teaching. And yet there are times, many times, way too many times in our lives where we're worried, we're troubled. We just don't know if we can trust you. Father, I pray that you would open our eyes today. I pray that we would be able to see you so clearly that we would be drawn to you in an unmistakable way. We pray these things because you died on the cross and you gave us access to the Father. Amen. Amen. In verse 1, Jesus starts off to this crowd around the table. Why are you troubled? Why are you worried? Why don't you trust me? Now again, if some of you are newer to our study here, remember this is right near the end of Christ's physical life. He had just gone through with the Seder meal and he, has he had his group around a table and he was just sharing with them, well, the last words he was able to share to these friends on the planet. And he saw that they were discouraged. He saw that they were confused. Again, we can get really big here and saying, I don't know, why can't they listen? How come those disciples are so dense? Jesus seemed to tell them over and over and over again that he was going to go through a rough time, that he was going to die on the cross to pay the debt of all of man's eternity or, or, or sinfulness for all of eternity, and he would rise from the dead. So what is the problem? The problem is is that they just heard in this intimate situation that someone right there in their midst would betray their master to the Romans. Peter, their leader, was just told that he was going to deny his master publicly. Not one time or two times, but three times. Jesus had just told them that he was only going to be there just a little longer. 
So the person they looked to, they trusted, they saw all these miracles. He was going to leave? He was going to go? And then, in just a few hours, all these disciples would see their friend Jesus mutilated and then crucified a horrific death, no matter what you see or what you can understand in the history books. A man hung up on a cross didn't even look like a human being. That was their friend. So he starts off and says this, you don't let your heart be troubled. Don't be afraid, guys. Don't do that. You have faith in God. I know that. Now I want you to trust me. Jesus goes right to his father. And he says, I want to just remind you, God is faithful and worthy of trust. You already trust him. You've grown up on these old stories of grace. Things often looked bad if you look at Abraham. Abraham, you're going to have a son. Lord, I'm 99. Okay, keep trusting me. Things look a little bit bad right now. And Moses, Lord, there are Egyptians behind us. And there's a Red Sea before us. Moses, trust me. Put your staff in that water and watch what happens. Okay, Lord. And then you remember Joshua. The very first battle that he had as he was going into the promised land was Jericho. And we all know that the walls of Jericho came down. But can you imagine telling, again, the Israelites, uh, God's plan is this. We walk once around the town today. And then for the next seven days, we do the same thing. And on the seventh day, we're going to walk seven times. Lord, are you sure? And he does, and God does an amazing thing. David, very young, walks up to a nine-foot giant with a slingshot. Lord, you said to trust me. This looks a little odd to me. Look at that guy. He is a warrior. There's only like one little spot right up here. Well, David, go for it. I'm going to guide the stone. And things worked out pretty well. But trust me, what about Elijah? Elijah, almost a thousand prophets and prophetesses up on Mount Carmel. And he just throws the gauntlet down and says, hey, may the real God send down fire from heaven all day long. Well, the prophets didn't get anywhere. And, and Elijah prays. An unbelievable display of God's power. But things look pretty bleak before that. And what about Nehemiah? The task so overwhelming. Rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Really? Who am I going to have to do this? We don't have any skilled people. And in a miraculous way, led the children of Israel to rebuild some walls. 
That was the God that Jesus was reminding the disciples of. The ones they heard all of these stories. You trust God, that God, that's a pretty amazing God, right? Now I want you to trust me. I want you to trust me, guys. I can see it in your eyes, but trust me. Can, can I just remind you of a few things we did together? You're a little afraid right now. You're a little bit, well, gunshot. You're, you're worried. You may, you may think that God isn't around or isn't involved in your life, but you remember the very first miracle? We were at a wedding ceremony, and I turned water into wine. Remember all you guys, you tasted that wine. You said, oh, I can't believe it. This is pretty cool. But it got better. There were 5,000 people that were really hungry one day. And do you remember I took the, the fish and, and the rolls? And we fed so many we had leftovers. And, and do you remember the man born blind? And I touched his eyes? No one's ever done that in all the history of the world. And, and do you remember that man leaping for joy? And what about the storms? You remember all the storms, and do you remember when you thought I was a ghost? You were so frightened, and I walked right on top of the water. Do you remember I had that kind of power, that supernatural power? And I calmed your fears then. And do you remember the times that, well, I raised people from the dead? They were given hope again. Their families had parties. Do you remember that? He goes, you know of God, trust him. And you know of me. I'm, I've been with you. Remember these stories. Trust me. God has been faithful. I have been faithful. Now, in some ways, he could have stopped right there, honestly. I mean, what a, what a powerful word, set of words. Trust God. Trust me. We've, well, been faithful. You don't have to worry about the future. I know things are going to look really, really bleak. They're going to even look bleak after I die and are raised from the dead. Because life is hard. But I want you to trust me because you already trust your God. Then in verses 2 and 3, there is more than enough room in my Father's house. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. It says, when you're troubled, trust me. I have some amazing plans for you. Your future actually looks really, really good. Now, heaven's described in a whole lot of ways. But Jesus decides to talk about a house right here. And he said, lots of room in my father's house. 
Now, granted, there's some spirituals that talk about mansions. And sometimes you even kind of think that, you know, if you walk with God, I think I heard a preacher somewhere, some way down the road said, hey, I'm going to have a mansion and you're going to have a little chicken shack. No, no, that's not, it's not the translation here. The translation is here. My, my father has an amazingly big house and I'm going to go prepare a room, a spot for you in the house. Heaven is a place where God dwells and where Jesus Christ right now sits on the right hand of his Father. Throughout the scripture, heaven is declared or described as a kingdom. It's described as an inheritance. It's described as a country, a city, and even right here, a home. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, the Apostle Paul says this, our future will not even be able to be imagined. A place beyond anything you can think. Jesus says this, I'll be leaving to prepare your spot, your room. The disciples didn't even know at this moment that every one of them would die a martyr's death except for the Apostle John. They didn't really know how hard it was to raise the hand and say, I am a Jesus follower. But one of the last things Jesus said to his disciples, it's going to be worth it. You are going to have eternity with me, and I'm going to prepare your spot. I'm going to return for you. We're going to be able to stay forever You know the way to heaven. You're on your way to heaven. This should encourage the socks off you. The thought of heaven brought comfort and still brings comfort. You know, so much fun is to be able to sing praise songs of a time when we're going to spend eternity with God. Is to be able to listen to some of our teachers, especially in day four and day five of BBS, little ones, hearing the good story of a God that loves them and is preparing a place for his kids. Wow. Then Jesus goes in verses four, five, and six and says this When you are troubled, trust me because I'm going to be your guide. Starting in verse 4, and you know the way where I'm going. No, we don't, Lord Thomas said. We have no idea where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus told him and all the others around that table, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Thomas. Oh, Thomas. We sometimes beat Thomas up, but but Thomas was right there, and maybe Thomas was just a little bit more forward at this moment, but he says, Jesus, we've been with you. You talk about the way. You said that we know the way. I don't think I know the way. What is the way? And Jesus responds. He said, it's a message I've, I've shared with you. I've really shared with, with everyone, but, but I am the way. I'm the giver of truth, and I am the one where you'll find life. These are the basics, Thomas. Don't forget the basics. You're going to, again, go through some tough times. Remember, 
Remember my words. Remember who I am. Remember what I've promised. And I've always come through. But more than any of that, because that's what this whole chapter is about, he says, I am the one who gives access to the Father. I will show you who the Father is and what the Father looks like. So in the next few verses, verses 7 through 11, literally Jesus is saying this. Hey, when you're troubled, when you're discouraged, when you're worrying, I want you to trust me because I am the one that will show you what the Father looks like says this, starting in verse 7. If you had really known me, you, wouldn't, you would know who my Father is. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip says, Lord, show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. You know, at this point, if you're reading through, you're, you're just going, really? Like Jesus is handing the baton off to these guys. It, I, I get it. They're all going to be scattered. They're all not understanding. They've been in this teaching. They've seen miracle after miracle. And we do get hard on them. But, but so many of us are in that same boat. We've seen God work. We've seen God do amazing things in our life. His faithfulness is unbelievable. And we doubt, and we wonder, and we worry. And sometimes we do need a little bit of persuasion that our God is big and wonderful. But so much of the time we just need reminders. We need a reminder. We need a reminder over and over and over because our circumstances look so large and our circumstances look so big and so overwhelming most of the time. Sometimes we're pretty cavalier with that first grader that comes home pouting because someone in their class, well, made fun of them. And we as parents, wise parents, especially fathers, go to them and say, oh, come on, consider the source What's wrong with you? You're stronger than this. You can, and we give that unbelievable Newt Rockney speech. And all your son or daughter does is keep crying. Are you serious? I just gave it everything. You know? And I think that's sometimes how it is with God. We just need reminders. Over and over and over again because the enemy is full and the enemy is ruthless and the enemy wants more than anything to get us focused on ourselves or on our circumstances. So anyway, Jesus says you've seen the Father, you know the Father, and because you have seen and know me, you know the Father. God the Father is completely revealed in Jesus the Son. So Philip says, great, show us the Father then. Jesus responds, I've been with you. Haven't you seen the resemblance? If you've seen me, you've seen how I respond to people, 
how I love people, how I heal people. You've seen it all. Why are you asking to see the Father? Don't you believe? Even though, again, I've said over and over, my Father and I were, were so close. We are so close. You've seen my works, and they are the works my Father has done through me. You've heard my words, and these are the words that my Father has told me to say. When you doubt, trust me, believe my words, they are life-giving. Believe in me because my works show who the Father is and that he has authority over everything. Jesus reminded them that his words and his actions stick out in a troubled world. It's just hard to believe sometimes. Then he said this, and he ends our passage, and, and actually it's, it's an amazing passage, and if, if you read these verses and understand what Jesus is telling the disciples and likely telling us, it will just blow your mind. When you're troubled, trust me, basically I have an assignment for you. Starting in verse 12, I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because, the reason, I'm going to be with the Father. You can ask for anything in my name and I will do it so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me anything in my name and I will do it. Having urged his disciples to believe in him on the basis of his works, what he's done, Jesus then makes this remarkable statement. I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works. Oh, not only the ones you've seen me do, but even greater works because I'm going to go to the Father. So what does Jesus mean when he uses the word works? Is this kind of a promise that I'll be able to walk on water? Come on, what what is Jesus saying? Well, if we look at Christ's works, he taught, he mentored, he healed, he evangelized. Was Jesus talking about all of these works? Or other works? We know that the disciples did some signs and wonders in the book of Acts. We do. But as far as we know, they did not miraculously feed multitudes. They did not calm storms. They did not walk on the water. They did not restore sight to those who had been born blind. Or call people out of their graves when they had been already dead for four days. Now, I guess in some ways we don't know for sure, but we know it's not been recorded for us, at least that. From from the time that the apostles lived until now, as far as we know, Jesus' followers have never performed works that were qualitatively the same, let alone greater than those of Jesus. Yet God still does miracles 
But miracles are unusual. They're not normal. I think one of the passages that help us understand exactly even what Jesus did was found in Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. You can turn your Bibles there if you want, but let me give you just a quick context, uh, the context here. First of all, uh, Jesus is beginning his ministry. He's beginning to gather his disciples. He's going to different towns and villages. And his practice was to normally go to the synagogues and be able to teach people God's word. Well, he went to Nazareth, his hometown. And as was his practice, he went into the synagogue. And he had an opportunity to read from the scroll or the scriptures. And he reads this scripture which is a prophecy from Isaiah. And so he literally opened up the scroll of Isaiah and read this text. And the scripture says this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. There is no doubt that this was a prophecy of the Messiah. And that Jesus himself literally, well, went to blind people and allowed them to see. But in this context, Jesus is talking about the gospel, the good news, the life transformation words that he was going to be giving. And he says, hey, when the Spirit is on me, I will bring good news to the poor, to those who are poor spiritually, to those that don't understand the words of life, to those who are meandering and scrambling here on the planet, trying to find life and worth and everything they possibly could by, well, what they do on a weekend or what kind of things that they buy, or what kind of job that they're going to get. And Jesus said this. He says, I want to bring good news. Good news to those who are scrambling. I want to be able to proclaim the sin which held them and the bondage they had, that they are free. That's what the Messiah is going to do. And that the blind, those that don't see spiritually, are going to see and that the oppressed will be set free because God's favor is here. This is an amazing promise. And in that context, and you can read in Luke chapter 4, Jesus sits down and basically says this, okay, I came and fulfilled all these things. That really riled up those in his hometown because they knew he was a carpenter or a cabinet maker. He knew that. They knew that. And you're telling us that you're the Messiah? Come on! We know your brothers, your sisters, your mom, your dad. Are you serious? And Jesus said at that moment that a prophet is not honored most of the time at his home. So Jesus came to bring good news, which changes lives. The word translated greater here is used all the way throughout the Gospel of John. It is. And it probably means works that are more important and more impressive. 
That's a big difference. Jesus is talking about the magnitude of ministry rather than individual feats. He is saying the greater works of the disciples will be going into all of the world with the gospel and it will be making disciples of all nations. The greater works began at Pentecost and continues when people are brought to faith in Christ. What an assignment. We get to be part of the Jesus movement over 2,000 years later, proclaiming the good news to those who are blind, to those who are scrambling, to those who are poor in spirit, so that they might hear these life-giving words, respond to Jesus, and be transformed. Oh, it does not get better than that. Then Jesus, right in this same context, links this promise directly to prayer. Now sometimes I feel like I'm preaching to the choir. I do. I know that so many of you see the power of prayer, understand what prayer is, recognize the authority that God gives us to be able to come into his presence, that we can talk to him about anything and everything. And we can share our hearts with the creator of all. Ah, it's so amazing. It is. But Jesus basically says this, that one of the benefits of him leaving would be the indwelling of the Spirit in believers. The Spirit will be available and active in every believer. And next week, here's the little cliffhanger. You come back next week and we're going to talk about what power the Spirit has in every one of our lives. That's a whole different message, a whole different sermon. But, but what Jesus is saying is, is that to ask for anything in my name means to ask according to His will. We've seen when people use the name of Jesus and the name of God, there's some great power and authority. Sometimes we just think we put in Jesus' name at the end of our prayer. And you teach your children to do that. Or you may just automatically, it's kind of like how you close a prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. In Jesus' name, amen. In Jesus' name, amen. And we all know that we're done. Okay? But I think sometimes we get taught, and it's so necessary and power that the whole reason that every one of us are able to go into the presence of God, the whole reason that Holy of Holies curtain was rent from the top down to the bottom that gives us access to God is because of what Jesus did on the cross. And he saved everyone who comes to him by faith and gives them access right to God the Father. So he gives us an assignment to be able to pro proclaim his amazing gospel that changes lives. And then gives us the authority and teaches us that it's by Jesus' name that we can accomplish the task. 
Jesus really just says, put your faith in me and make a kingdom difference. You will have no regrets. Now as I wrap up even today, I listened to some of the things that hit me And I know that in our world, it's a world that's filled with sin. That it's so very, very broken. I know that. But I also know that God desires deeply for us not to be focused on circumstances or people. That He's given us unbelievable opportunities to be able to make a kingdom difference. You see, Jesus knew that there would be some tough days ahead for the disciples. And he knew their faith needed to be strengthened. And he knew they needed their tires pumped. And I think we need our tires pumped also. In this particular section of Scripture, it's really good for those who are struggling with heart troubles. But I don't mean the kind of troubles that can be treated with bypass surgery. I'm referring to a kind of heart trouble that steals sleep and keeps the mind churning throughout the day. The kind of trouble that induces stress and squashes joy. It's worry. It's worry. And it's kind of crazy if you really know the Father. Do you know the good, good Father? Do you have a relationship with our Father? It is Father's Day. I get it. And I hope you're able to honor those in your lives you call Dad. But more than that, I hope you see your Heavenly Father differently. And if, for some reason... You don't have a relationship with him. You have not come to him by faith. Oh, I'd encourage you this morning on Father's Day to get to know our Father. Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful for all that you've done in our lives. We are we know, Lord, that we don't deserve a relationship with you, and, and we know that sometimes in our arrogance, we just think we know more than you. But Lord, from the very beginning, you have shown and proved your love to each one of us. We just want to say thank you. We know that the disciples probably reflect us really well. We know, Father, that in spite of all our teaching, all of our training, all the time we've literally walked with you, well, there's times we just are troubled. And we need to hear those words, trust me. Trust me. You have been so faithful over the years. And we just want to say thank you. We also want to say thank you for letting us partner with you on this journey that we have an opportunity, Father, to be able to make a kingdom difference. 
that we can go on assignment with you, that we can proclaim good news to those who are bankrupt, and that they can know our amazing Father, our good, good Father. We do pray these things because of your Son's amazing and wonderful death on the cross. One that we don't even understand, but gives us authority and access to you. In Jesus' name, in your name, in your precious name, Amen.